Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. As we start our night off, if you've ever hurt someone, the best thing to start a conversation off is with an apology. And so this is an apology from the church. This is a poem by Carvins Lassant. An appeal to the broken. And where were we when our beloved tabernacle housed rocks in the palm of their hands and flung stones through the window pane of innocent souls? Us, guilty of standing idly by, bearing witness to our kin, suffocating the ones we are called to love, in a sea of condemnation and enmity, shame. How our silence grew the voices of judges, helped it use scriptures as nooses to hang outsiders by the center of their throat. Astonishing, how we let a holy place highlight the dirt of the world before it had the courage to clean its own house first. Watched as they swept the grime of their lives under the rug, trapping it beneath the floorboards to never see the light of day. Quick, to rebuke but never to correct self. Point out the speck in the eyes of the fallen but never the plank lodged in the center of their pupils. Shocking that the same mouth used to bless our Lord and Savior is a voice box formed as a weapon to curse our neighbor. How we disgrace the very reason our God revealed himself in the first place, disgusted that we walk by the weeping, plugged our ears to the pain of people, but always open them up to selfishly receive a revival. Amazing that we sentence sinners to eternal damnation and never share with them the love that can resurrect their being into new creation. This is an apology for everyone stung by the pangs of the church, for every violent utterance that led you to a shell of isolation, for every problematic misuse of Bible for personal gain, for every manipulative gesture for money, greed, power, and fame, for every oppressive act shackled you to the heart broken shame, for every lie that was spewed from the jaw of a pulpit, for every congregation that gave you a side eye while you marched to the altar, for everyone who claimed the name of Christ but revealed themselves as serpent in the grass. We confess, I confess our brokenness. Our brokenness is a flame in the dark. It is a truth that will come and always come to light. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Soul Cafe. Hi. My name is Janelle, and I'll be your host this evening. Um, So Soul Cafe is an event that we do here at Bridge Church. Um, We use it to highlight a particular topic, and we do that through creative expression, because the DNA of our church is that we are made up of creatives. If you are creative at Bridge Church, make some noise. (laughs) 
So the goal is to engage in, discuss in discussion, and we want to spark a dialogue that extends far beyond this evening. As you guys were walking in, you probably noticed in the foyer, there are posters with quotes on them, um, and we invite you as you're kind of gathering in the foyer and eating the delicious food um, to take a look at those and just kind of let those serve as a starting point when you go out there to continue the discussion. So a few housekeeping items, our restrooms are located through that door to my right and down the hallway. We have exits there and in the back where you came in and there are refreshments in the lobby. Is the food good? Food's good? Okay, cool, cool, cool. So for tonight's Soul Cafe, we're focused on the topic of church hurt. And church hurt is the phrase that has emerged to express the pain caused from the people who are supposed to be like Jesus, the church. So we're going to have a series of TED Talk style discussions. And then we'll have a question and then you'll have an opportunity to answer that question with the people who are around you. I just wanna personally say, uh, I don't know where you're at, I don't know where you've been and where you're coming from, but as somebody who started coming to this church and sat in the back row, I would probably laugh if you would've told me four years ago that I'd be up here helping to host this. Um, I myself have had to work through several issues with community. And uh, I've been able to do that here. So I just wanna invite you guys to keep an open mind, keep an open heart. Um, know that you are amongst family. You are amongst family, right, Bridge Church? Yes. <laughs> and that this is a safe space for you to share. All right, our first speaker, knows a lot about taking steps toward growth. His name is Daryl Jordan, and he is going to share with us his personal experience with Church Heart. Please help me in introducing Daryl to the stage. Good evening, everybody. Uh, as Janelle said, my name is Daryl Jordan, and uh, like anybody, I come to church with expectations. Uh, some of us expect the music to be lively and life-giving, right? Some of us expect the word to be powerful, right? Some of us expect the people to be loving and inviting. Uh, but see, I have a different expectation. When I come into church, I watch the pastor. See, I've always wanted to be a pastor. It's something that I've looked up to over the years and actually even had the chance to serve as a co-pastor at one point. So you can imagine my shock and my pain on the day I stood in church and the pastor lied about me from the pulpit. See, he told a little bit of truth because he said that uh, Daryl, after three years of serving as music uh, choir director and and uh, music minister will be stepping down to have more time to pursue his doctorate in music. But that would have been enough if, if, if that was true for uh, private consumption. But in actuality, uh, there was more to the story. And it misrepresented what I actually shared about why I was stepping down. See, this was a church that 
was pretty important to me because I had just come out of a pretty difficult church hurt before where I had served as a pastor. And I saw this as an opportunity to enter into ministry slowly, but I wanted to share my gifts. I wanted to sing. It wasn't just a position. I joined the church within weeks of starting the job. I, I, my family was a part of it. It was something where my wife and I were married there. It was family. It was, it was birthday parties and, and outings and opportunities to talk and get to know one another. It was a chance for us to build together. But yet here he stood and he said this lie from the pulpit about me and what really led me to leave. You see, for three years, I had been living in OJ's experience. You remember the 1960s groups, 1960s group, the OJs? It had this song out called Backstabbers, right? They, you know, they smile in your face all the while want to take your place, them. Yeah. See, in one hand, there was a positive message that, oh, he's doing great with the choir. He's building the, the membership. He's adding songs that are really great. He's, he's building relationships with all kinds of different people, and he's, he's, uh, he, he's having an, a, a, an effect with spirit-led worship, and he's, and he's being so involved as a musician and a leader. But yet, behind my back, there was negativity going in private meetings. See, negativity was, oh, he isn't choosing the right songs. Oh, he's, he's actually uh, not talking to the right people. Um, he's he's uh, actually, you know, incompetent at his job. See, there were even Sundays when I would come in and I would sit down at the piano to play and the piano was surprisingly turned off and I couldn't get it back on. There was no button to sort of turn it back on. There were times when I would prepare the choir for a song, and then next thing you know, the praise team had already started to sing that song before I got a chance to sing it with the choir. There were times when the choir was working on uh, choir music, and then next thing you know, the praise team director was standing in front of the praise team like a choir. There was even, to add insult to injury, an advertised choir that was started towards the end of my tenure before I even knew anything about it, taking members from my choir. This was supposed to be family. And my pastor, who was supposed to be the one to stand for the truth of who I was, was actually elevating the lie. You see, I felt betrayed. I felt isolated. I felt like I had no voice. I felt like there was no space for me to even use my own gifts. I wanted to be a pastor. I saw this as a great start. But in actuality, I felt incompetent. I wanted to be a pastor, but I felt like I didn't have a space to even grow those gifts. I felt like I didn't even have someone I could look up to to cultivate those gifts in me. Some of us have come in here and we've wanted to leave out of that feeling. And when I told my pastor that I was resigning, I shared a whole lot more than just that I was pursuing a doctorate. And some of us have had those moments when we've left because what we expected 
was not what we got. When we came into church wanting to feel valued, instead we were thrown out as cheap. He didn't even give me two weeks. How many of us have felt that same feeling? Thanks. Wow. Thank you, Daryl. I want to highlight for everyone that um, through all of this, Daryl is actually a city group leader here at Bridge Church, which is pretty amazing. Has anyone here ever experienced church hurt? Yeah, I see some hands. Okay, we are going to get into discussion to unpack that. What has church hurt looked like for you or someone you know? We're gonna leave this question up. You're gonna have five minutes to talk through with your neighbors that you already know, and then we're gonna bring it back to center, okay? Five minutes. Go ahead. Hopefully, you've had a chance to just kind of get your, your mind on the topic. I hope that you have had an opportunity to hear perspectives from other people about their upbringing or their past experiences with the church. Um, we are going to transition into a time of not only hearing about church hurt, but hearing about how to process it. We need tools. And there is a powerful, amazing, dynamic young woman by the name of Sydney Wright, <laughs> who is going to share with us her experience of learning to process church hurt. Can we give it up for Sid? Like Janelle said, my name is Sydney Wright, and I am from Dallas, Texas. Right, right. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm trying to tell y'all about me. I'm from Dallas, Texas. All right. So in the nature of telling you guys about me, another fun fact is the fact that I grew up in the church. So I was one of those front row kind of kids who the mama gave them a bulletin and said, just draw and shut up. I was one of them. I also was in every church play. I was the angel and Billie Holiday on Black History Month. I was all of it. <laughs> my dad was even the pastor of my church growing up. So growing up in the church, I felt like I could write a book on all the church sayings and stuff. Like y'all know them church sayings. Y'all know them, right? So let's try to write a book now. Let's try to write a book now. Do you guys know that saying that says, God is good all the time and? 
right, right, right. Or if somebody asks you how you doing, you say, I'm blessed and highly. Okay, okay, right, right. What about, what about to God be the? All right, all right. Let's, let me find another one real quick. What about, what about this one? When the praises go up, the? Yes, or what about this one? I feel like this one was more so a catalyst for healing. So let's try this one out. Come as you are. Come as you are. Come as you are. Come as you are. I feel like growing up in the church, when I was hearing those statements, I constantly was playing a game of two truths and a lie. Come as you are. It's, it felt like that saying was passed around like if empty offering baskets. You know what I'm saying? Like there was a lot of saying it, but not enough investing in it growing up. And it just, sometimes it, that saying and that statement led us to a space where we were just done. Because the church said, come as you are. But what they really meant was, come, come and look like us. Come in and dress like me. Come in, sing like me. Come and shut up like me. Don't challenge me. Come in as you are like me. Right? Right? <laughs> Y'all funny. Through my years of being a part of a local body, I had seen so many people who had been judged. So many people who had been struggling. So many people who had been overlooked and low-key canceled. Yeah, but if we're honest, we all have come as you are moments, right? Maybe, maybe your come as you are moment was you were up front and somebody told you to sit down because your outfit was inappropriate. Or maybe your come as you are moment was you entered into a church and you came as you were and people were too busy focused on your sexual orientation and not your relationship with Christ. We've all had come as you are moments and if we're honest, Moments like that have really made us want to walk away from the church. Yeah. So I'm going to tell y'all one of my come as you are moments. I feel like I got a million of them. But one in particular was about three years ago, I moved in with a lovely woman who went to this church. Now, my roommate and I, starting off, were definitely like two sheets of sandpaper rubbing together in conflict. Like, it wasn't cute. It wasn't cute. But... As time went on, the conflict sometimes was really challenging the process. So one moment in particular that I can remember, I had come in from a very terrible day. It was one of my lowest moments in life last year. And I was sitting on the couch and I was bawling my eyes out. I know I'm too cute to cry because I'm a thug, but I was bawling my eyes out and I was telling her the issues that were going on in my heart and going on in my life and all of the challenges. And as I was telling her these things, as I was giving her a part of me, the response that I received back was, you're too much. Y'all, I promise you, when I heard those words, it sent me back to a place that I never desired to go to. You're too much. It felt like daggers being stabbed into my heart that was already wounded. I like, come on, sis, like you, you, you my roommate. We go to church together. Those words 
sent me to a place that I never wanted to revisit. Because I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about me. If you don't know, I'm a very extra person. <laughs> okay? I'm a little bit interesting and vivacious. But for the woman that you see here today, that was not always something celebrated. Growing up, people told me, Sydney, you're just too extra. You're worse than that, so Raven, sis. You're, you're just a lot. You take up too much space. I mean, I'm thick, but dang, you know? <laughs> like, it was, so I'm laughing at it now, but that caused me so much pain. So to hear those words from a woman who not only was my roommate, not only did we say that we were going to do life together in Jesus' name, like Devon Franklin said, we decided that we were going to move in together as two come as you are moments. But I promise you guys that rejection felt like hell. I was already low. Now, let me clarify. She did not mean any harm in saying those things, but her intentions did not make the pain stop. And in that moment, and in the moments to come, I had... I had a choice. Because she and I came into this, this roommate ship, into this church moment, committed to each other because we were committed to Christ, I had to choose to commit to her past my pain. I had to choose to commit to her past the pain that I may have caused her in the past. Because the thing about it, when you process it, and when I process it, it's wild because our Savior constantly commits to us. And I know that that sounds a little like, you know, abstract, but the thing about it is when Jesus Christ was on that cross and he had people yelling at him, they lied about him like Daryl got lied about. He had people spitting on him, cursing him out, talking behind his back, talking in his face and beating him and trying to kill him. He didn't say, you know what, I'm about to get off this cross. I'm about to square up like y'all going to get this work. No, he didn't do that. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus also didn't say like the SpongeBob meme, you know what, I'm out. I'm out. I see y'all. No, he committed. Jesus committed. And so in that moment, I had to choose to commit to her because he committed to me. I had to commit to her past the pain that was caused in that moment and onward, I had to commit past the pain that I was going to cause somebody else. Because Jesus not only stayed on that cross, he endured the worst church hurt. So before we start this conversation with Janelle, do you guys mind if I start the conversation with Jesus? I'm just going to pray real quick. God, we thank you for enduring the worst church hurt. Jesus, we thank you for the tools that you're bringing up tonight on how to commit past the pain. God, have your way in this conversation to come. In your name, Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. Thank you. Can we give it up for Sydney? So Sydney's point was that she made a decision Everybody in here has free will. And she made a choice. She has a million different options in this city of who she could live with. She has a plethora of options for churches, so she could have left. 
but she chose to stay. And I think that that is something that we as a generation need to practice more, patience. Patience with ourselves, the way that Jesus is patient with us, and also patience with others. So our question is, what does it look like to be patient with a friend you are committed to? What does it look like for you to practice patience with a friend you are committed to? Five minutes, go. Help me welcome to the stage our lead pastor, Pastor James T. Roperson III. How's everybody doing tonight? That's what's up. Well, glad for you all engaging in the discussion. Uh, on what we're talking about with church hurt. Um, it's interesting as we discuss this because I feel like the name of Jesus has been in the news all week, amen. Uh, I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, my, my, our next door neighbors pump the most ratchet turn up music all week. And then we walk out and they're playing a song called Follow God or whatever. And I'm just like, this is crazy. So you see that, <laughs> and they're just like, yeah, this song's dope. I'm like, it is. <laughs> um, so if you didn't know, Kanye West came out with a Christian album, man. It's so crazy. And for us, you know, those who know Jesus, it's, it, it's an exciting thing. And I think we, we should acknowledge that that is an amazing thing to see someone who's built his whole industry, 15 years, talking about every, in fact, renaming himself Jesus, but then all of a sudden now representing Jesus. At the same time, we cannot pretend that we forget everything he said, amen? Like, I'm talking about like a couple weeks ago, praise God. So he's, <laughs> he's clearly still got issues. He's, he's in a process, he's in a journey, amen, amen. So pray, walk with him, Jesus. Did you see how I did that? You saw what I did with that? You said you got it late. It's okay. It's okay. I don't do it all the time. Um, but I thought it was interesting what he said about why he does this event. If you don't know, Kanye West has done this event for the last several months, maybe this thing called Sunday Service, where he goes around to different cities and he gathers people and they sing worship songs and he kind of remakes worship songs. And kind of the heartbeat of it was that he, I, I heard him in an interview and he said, man, I, I cannot wait to hear my daughter talk more about going to Sunday service. My, my daughter is actually saying she wants to go to church. And when you kind of look at what Kanye has done is he created a space called Sunday service, but really he created a church because most likely he didn't feel comfortable in a church for himself. 
Trevor Noah was just interviewed on The Breakfast Club, and in that interview, he surprisingly, I didn't know his story, but he talked how he really loves Jesus, and he actually shared the gospel on The Breakfast Club. It was an amazing thing to see. But then when he moved to the church, it was like, ah, I don't know about that part. That's Jesus, yes. Church, I don't know, right? And if we're honest, some of you here tonight are still in that space where you say, Jesus, yes. The church, I don't know. You know, it's so funny how our technology has moved us into a place. You can literally do everything in your home now. You can get an education in your home. You can get food in your home. You can get movies in your home. You can get anything in your home. You can find a date in your home, praise God. <laughs> literally, you don't have to go out to go out, amen? You can just find them by searching. But the amazing thing, so, so what... What technology has discovered is if we just give you the product, you don't have to go through the process of dealing with people. I don't want to go to the library. I just want the books. I want the products in the store. I just don't want to deal with the store itself. I don't want to do the register thing. I don't want to deal with all the people. I just want the product. And so our technology has led us to a belief of a very well-known phrase, I can do church in my home. Because when we say I can do church in my home, we find this mega amazing, fantastic pastor that is just amazing, amazing, and we watch him and we're blown away by his ability to have thoughts and quotes and jokes and ideas and insights and it's just amazing. And then we put on some worship and we're in tears on our bed and we're just like, God, I love you, I love you so much. And then we just do that, you know, because I'm having church in my home. Because I don't want to deal with all that. I just want the product. And we are not wrong in our desire to love God more. The Bible says that Jesus says all the commandments, when we say all the commandments, meaning everything you could possibly do to know God more and to love God, they hang off of two commandments. Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So 50% of that you can do in your home. Oh, Jesus. But he said there's another part. He said to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, notice he didn't say love your friends. In fact, Jesus and Matthew would go on to say, what reward is it for you to love people that already love you back? He says truly to love your enemy. That is to be a reward. You see, Jesus was giving us a picture of the very purpose of the church. The first time the word church is used, it's an interesting moment. Peter, who is in this dynamic moment where Jesus is asking him, what, who do people say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ. And, and once Peter confesses that Jesus is Lord, Jesus then tells him something. He says, flesh and blood did not reveal that to him. And he goes on to say in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 16, he says, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. But then he goes on to say, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The first time the word church is used, it's actually used in the context of a destination the church is going. 
You see, you have to understand that when the Bible talks about hell, it is talking about an eternal destination that is eternal separation from God. People that will live far from God. And he says that this place called hell has gates. It is trying to protect this commodity it has. Anything that has gates, if it's a gated community, it's trying to protect what it already has. But the church is actually bashing up against those gates. And because the church is trying to prevail against those gates, it is trying to get people who are on an eternal destination of eternal separation from God. In other words, the church is not just a place, it's a movement. It is in war time. And it is trying to rescue people who will one day be separated from God eternally. So you have to understand the first time the church, the word church is brought up, it's not brought up in the context of preaching and worship. It's in the context of rescuing people from hell. It is in the context of mission. And so Jesus says, man, the church, it's this place that will rescue people. But the, the reality that we have to grapple with is that the translators of the Bible one of the things that was, it made sense at the time, but it would have a devastating effect on the way that we relate to one another. When William Tinsdale in 1536, when he began to translate the English Bible, he would eventually be killed for translating that Bible. But in his translation, he noticed something. He noticed that the word for church was actually what in Germans would call Kirch with a K. And it was the Lord's house, indicating a home, indicating a building, indicating an edifice, four walls, an institution. William Tinsdale said, no, this word is a Greek word called ekklesia. And so he took everywhere he saw the word church and he replaced it with congregation. Because he was indicating that it was not a building, but a community. And he would be killed for that, burnt at the stake. And so what we have to understand is that the church, therefore, is not a physical space, but it is a community of people, a congregation, a gathering of people. And these people are then to operate with each other in a particular way. Jesus would tell us, the power of our community would be in love. In John 13, 34 and 35, it says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do you notice what Jesus set up there? He says, the way that the world will know, the way that people who are separated from a relationship with me, who don't feel comfortable within my community of knowing me, the way that they will know that you are my disciples is when you love each other. We would presume that the way to win the world is by loving the world, by doing mission trips and food drives, by giving out backpacks, 
by caring for them. And yes, that is an avenue. But you have to understand, what he says is, the way that the world will know that you are my disciples is by the way you love one another. In other words, you can win the world, the world walks in, and then they see how you treat one another. And the world says, I can get this at the bar. I can get this from my friends. My, 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 my friends, my family, they do the same thing. They rate you on your performance and then cancel you. What difference is the church if we have a cancel culture in here? And so what love is, is when people who are living in a cancel culture walk into a commitment culture. When they're just looking like, oh, she said that and you still? <laughs> you about to go, you're not going to go up. What you going to do? <laughs> you going to call her <laughs> and say what? You going to pop up? Oh, you going to have that coffee? Okay. And then that coffee, you going to let her, oh, y'all going to like pray. <laughs> but you going to pray like them deep, like mean prayers, right? Like you going to Are you going to pray for reconciliation? Now that's different. That's different. And I feel like that looks like Jesus. The world will know you are my disciples. And the problem is the church has redefined success. The world will know about your worship team. The world will know about your preaching. The world will know about your building. The world will know about your insights. But does the world know about our love for one another? That's what changes the world, by how we love one another. You see, the truth of the matter is, the reason why church hurt is so different than everything, every other kind of hurt, is because we come in this space with expectations. You know, I, I shared this the other week. You know, you go to the club and somebody steps on your foot and they bump into you. And, you know, you're, you're there and just it's like, what's up, what's up, how you doing? Oh, what you doing? You step on my foot, what you doing? Oh, why are you hitting me? And you leave. And they're like, yo, let's go to the club next week. He's like, I ain't going to clubs no more. I got club hurt. <laughs> no, I don't do clubs. I don't do clubs. So you, so you realize that I can commit to some things, but, but what is it about the church? The, the reason why the church is so hard, it's so hard, is because what we expected. I would put church hurt akin to father wounds. Because if a 50-year-old man just says, they don't like you, that's one thing. But if your father says it, if a 50-year-old man just didn't show up to a meeting, but when your father didn't show up, it's different because of what your heart expected. And so you expected, and people expect, that the church would be a place of healing. And whenever you expected a place to be a place of healing, and that place not only didn't heal you, but ended up hurting you, 
it causes you to be confused. Can you imagine walking into a doctor's office saying, you know, doc, my eye is just killing me. And the doctor goes, bow! <laughs> Nurse comes over and said, what happened? Your eye, shaka! The residents come over, like, oh my gosh, what happened? Yaka! And you would run out of there and you would just be like, I came in here for a get healed and you guys just keep hurting me. And you're like, I can never go back to that hospital again. Because it's weird when the place that you thought would heal you ends up hurting you worse. See, the fact is life hurts. A church hurt is a thing, but life hurts. And you can't switch lives like you can switch churches. Life hurts. And you came here with job hurts. You came here with family hurts. You came here with all types of friendship hurts. And you thought this would be a place that I could grow, that I could be healed. So it becomes weird when you made friends here and those friends talk about you. It becomes weird when you thought you could trust leadership. Like you, your boss, you could get it. Like we're not together. But, but when you feel like people, leaders here, they don't get you. They don't love you. It just becomes too weird. It becomes too hard. And so we, we have then a dilemma. And what we have to realize is that Jesus was trying to paint a picture of a space where beyond the way that life has hurt you, Christ would be healing all of us. And although we are all broken, we would still be like Henry Nouwen called us, wounded healers. Though we've been wounded by the world, we are healing each other through the gifts that God has given us, through the love of Jesus Christ. We are wounded healers. And the way that we truly heal is by committing to Christ and to one another, to love God and love one another. That's what makes us different. That's what the church was supposed to be, a place where we were loving God and one another. And we kept enduring for the sake of Christ with one another. Well, I shared the other week how my wife and I got together uh, we've been married 16 years now. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that was when my beard wasn't gentrified, amen? So it was. It was a, beard was. All black. You get out, you saw what I did with that? Just when it was all black. So it just moved in and took over, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> took over. Took over. Didn't leave, didn't leave room. Didn't leave room for the black ones, you know what I'm saying? But but so that's my wife. She, she fine though. 
She fine. Um, man, I shared with you guys the other week, man, like my, you know, I asked my wife out three times. That was very hard. And um, by the third time, you know, it was just like I'm done. And then all of a sudden we end up being together. And it was so hard. And then, you know, my wife, she... She was getting ready to meet my mom. And my mom was like, hey, you know, can't wait to meet her. And my wife was like, I don't know if your mom will like me. And I'm just like, what do you mean my mom will like you? She's like, I just, if my mom, if your mom doesn't like me, I mean, what are you going to do? I was like, if my mom doesn't like you, what am I going to do? I'm going to marry you still. (laughs) Because just because you don't like my wife doesn't mean she's not my wife. My commitment to her is not defined by preferences by you, right? Even, even of someone I greatly value. I, I love my mom. I don't tell this story in front of my mom. Amen? Amen. So, this is, this is, this is what we have to understand. In Revelation 19, Jesus calls the church his bride. Understand the implication of that. He endured and sacrificed for his bride. He committed to his bride. He covenanted with his bride. So when you say, I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church, just know when Jesus hears that, he's saying, you love me, but you can't stand my wife. The one I died for. (laughs) From the mouths of babes. (laughs) But I want to, I want to acknowledge something that even though we've been talking about commitment, because I think a a stronger word than saying I love you is saying I'm committed to you. That's that's stronger. Because you can say that word and it get passed around real quick, but when you say I'm committed to you, that has weight to it. But I realize that when I talk about the church hurting people, I'm a part of that. I'm a church leader myself. And so I acknowledge my own brokenness in that, my own missteps in that, my own mistakes, and even my own sin. Jesus would press into Paul the Apostle, and Paul the Apostle would give us not as much a definition of love, but a description of love. And he would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, He would say, love is patient. I apologize for all the times that the church has not been patient with you, all the times where the church overlooked you, all the times that the church sped past who you were and did not value you. I apologize for the impatience of the church but I ask you to be patient with the church. I ask you to endure with the church.
I ask you to commit to the people called church. He would say that love is kind. You have to understand that kindness is not saying nice things to people. Kindness in the Bible is this incredible imagery of gearing down yourself in order to be at the same pace as another person. It would be like you running in a marathon with one of your friends and all of a sudden you notice that they can't keep up. And instead of jetting ahead of them, you slow your pace down so that you can be at the same pace. Kindness comes from kindred, comes from connected, comes from the same kind of way they're moving. I'll move with you. I apologize for how the church has been unkind. How we sped ahead of you and left you in the dust. How we forgot about you. But I also ask you to be kind to the church. To not move faster than us. When you see a problem in the church, you'll probably see it for a while before the church can fix it. it goes on to say, love does not insist on its own way. Love doesn't create a space where it's my way or the highway. And yet the church in the name of the Bible sometimes creates this space where we are quicker to move people out than reach them where they are. I apologize for how the church has insisted on its own way. But I also ask that you don't insist on your own way. Look, it says love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And when it says it never ends, it, the word in the Greek, it's this picture of someone who's running and they just never run out of oxygen. They keep running, they keep enduring, they keep moving. Love doesn't fail, other versions would say. And so I apologize when the church has failed you they gave up on you, when the church canceled you. But I also ask that you don't cancel the church. I'm not saying every church is the right church. In fact, some of you may need to leave a church. If you cannot follow the leadership of a church, then you, can't, you shouldn't stay at that church. You should be at a church where you can follow the leadership. So I apologize on behalf of leaders who canceled you. But I also ask that you don't cancel the church. Because don't forget, we have a mission together, y'all. We're not just preaching and singing. We're not just city groups and servant teams or Bible studies. We are a people on mission trying to get those gates and bash them in so that more people would be reached on behalf of Christ so that they would eternally not be separated from God, but they would be with God because when we worship, it is a small picture of what is gonna happen in heaven forever, forever. So what happens when eternity is at hand? Eternity is at hand. And so I ask that you would commit to the brokenness of the church. The reason why you have church hurt 
is because the church hurts people. The church hurts people because we're broken people. And there's a lot of shards. There's a lot of sharpness to us, all of us. And so the old preacher story goes, one time a group of porcupines got together and they said, let's go on a retreat. And they were like, okay, let's go on this retreat together. Praise God. We're gonna do some campfires, sing and cry together. So the porcupines go on this retreat together. While they're around the campfire, one porcupine says to another porcupine, I'm feeling like I'm getting close to you guys. The other porcupine says, yes, I feel close. I feel connected. And the other porcupine says, why don't we do a group hug? So the porcupines get up. And they say, come on, guys, bring it in. And they all come in, they go, oh, yeah, oh! And they try it again. They're like, no, 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 nothing's going to stop us from loving each other. And then another porcupine looks at them and says, guys, here's what I'm realizing. The closer we get to one another, the more we hurt each other. And the more you get close to God's people, you will be hurt. Commit past the hurts, not to this, but to them to people and let's be on mission together amen father in the name of Jesus we thank you you endured the worst church hurt God you took on our wrath that we should have had you took on our pain and our shame so we ask you in the name of Jesus God I can't commit to people in my own strength. I can commit to you. I can do Jesus. I just can't rock with people. Would you give us supernatural patience, supernatural kindness, supernatural endurance? We're not asking to, 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 to just gird up our loins and be stronger. We're asking actually to be weaker, to say, God, give me your love. And so, Shower us in your love tonight so we can love someone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand and worship with us? So, a few quick announcements. If you think that your next step might be with Bridge Church, we want to invite you to our open house next Saturday, November 2nd. Next Saturday is November, y'all. Next Saturday, November 2nd, here at the church, it's at 11 a.m. It is an opportunity for you to come and have free lunch with our pastors. Yes, free food. <laughs> with our pastors. If you would like the information for Open House, uh, you can text the word Open House, all one word, no spaces, to the number 484848. Again, there's no commitment involved just yet, but you can come and get to know our pastors, um, ask the questions about how we do things here at the church. And if you text into this number and come to Open House, we are going to send you an Uber code so that you can arrive for the free, okay? Yes? Yes, we wanna pay for your ride. So text, text Open House to 484848.
We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.